0: Go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter fourteen. Today we're going to be looking at three verses again. So, short, short verses twelve through fourteen. Jesus just got finished explaining to Philip in his relationship with the Father, and if you believe and understand what Jesus is saying, then we can experience the truth of Jesus' presence. And Jesus is kind of going to expand on that now. The disciples are upset. They're distressed because he's leaving. So with his departure, though, Jesus is going to give two promises that are going to help with their faith while he's gone. Reminding them, encouraging them, and empowering them with his presence, and ultimately he's going to explain how that's done through the gift of the Holy Spirit right after this passage that we're talking about today. The promises that Jesus makes are personal promises. They're personal promises for his disciples, and they're personal promises for you and me who have faith in him today. He promises to fulfill those promises as well. So John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. It's uh, the fall, midterm, right? Everyone's excited about all the campaign signs, right? And all the politics and all, all those signs that just litter litter the landscape during this time. And people during this time, leaders, want you to do what? They want you to trust them, don't they? They want you to put your faith in them and the way that they... They try to get you to do that is they they make what promises, lots and lots and lots of promises. Uh, they're making them right now. they're going to continue to make them and, and and it's interesting because the the, the promise kind of speaks to the person's ability or power, doesn't it? You know, so what they're capable of doing, I promise to do this, and the greater the promise, we're like, wow, this person has a lot of power, is going to get these things done. And if they fulfill their promise, they verify that power, they verify their character, and you continue to want to what? Trust in them. It kind of builds your faith in them. So even now, many politicians are making such promises. Here's a few good promises from the past that were made in the past. Not not many of these fulfilled at all. I don't know if you ever heard of Dennis Kucinich, but he promised if he was elected as president, to arrest George W. Bush. Uh, So he said, now the people in the Bush administration better remember their Miranda rights because when I'm elected, I'm going to arrest all of them. And then he adds the little tag, I'm not kidding here. Whenever someone adds that, I don't believe them. I tend to think that they're exaggerating. Uh, But that promise, of course, never happened because he's never elected. Barack Obama had a weird promise. You know what his promise was? It was not to call Mitt Romney weird, which is weird. It was weird in a few ways because everyone knew that Obama and everyone in Obama's campaign thought that Mitt Romney was what? Weird. And actually, you've kind of already broken the promise when you say, I promise not to call you weird because you, you know that he thinks he's weird. So that was a weird, weird promise. Um, Vermin Supreme, we've talked about this guy before. He wears a boot on his head and he makes crazy campaign promises. One of them was he promised ponies for everyone. That never came to fruition. Herman Cain made an interesting promise. His promise was not to veto any bill longer than three pages. That's really, really hard given that the average bill is 15 pages. And some bills we know can reach up to 1,000 pages and even more. Warren G. Harding promises to return to normalcy depends on whose normalcy that is, right, and what normalcy is. Herbert Hoover, everyone remembers his great promise, chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. Uh, Newt Gingrich made an interesting uh, promise recently in his, his campaign. Newt Gingrich promised to have a moon colony by the year 2020. So, that has not happened. Uh, Newt, we're not sure if he was going to be able to do that, but there's a few people I think that should actually inhabit the moon because they're already there. But. Um, and then this guy, this guy holds the, holds the record for crazy promises, Thulemon Saravan. His promises included uh, free mini helicopters, robots to do household chores, a complimentary trip to the moon to visit Newt's little colony, I guess, Uh, A free car, free iPhone, three-story house, a rocket launch pad in their general area, canals, and a boat for every household, and a 300-foot artificial iceberg. Why? To keep the constituency cool. I think it would be cool if he could fulfill those promises, but... People make a lot of promises, and they want you to do so so they, they, you could, they can reveal their power, what they're capable of doing, so you can trust in them, so you can put their faith in them. It, it, it's a shame, though, but what happens is many of those promises are never fulfilled, are they? And, and I think that's really good for us sometimes. Um, because humanity is not to place their faith in humanity. Because ultimately, humanity cannot save us. Jesus Christ can save us. Jesus Christ has been encouraging his disciples up to this point and will continue to do so. Believe in me. I am the one who is going to save you. He makes the greatest promises in the world because he's the only one who can fulfill them. Promises of eternal life. No one one is promising that, are they? Because no one can fulfill it. Promises of peace, what we just sang about. A peace not that the world gives, not that the world can bring about through any politician or any type of campaign or any type of agenda. Promises of forgiveness of your sin. Promise of purpose. And many, many other promises, and here we find two. Two promises that he gives to his disciples before he leaves, and these promises that he gives do wonders for their faith while he is gone. We're going to look at those two promises and we're going to see what they do for us as Christians, what they do for our faith, and what Jesus is saying, the details of these promises. So, the first promise that he gives to his disciples and to us who believe in him, he promises to do greater works through us. Verse 12. So he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. So we know when he begins, truly, truly, Jesus is saying, what I'm about to tell you is real important. you got to listen up. And what I'm about to tell you is really, really true. That this is a reality that is going to take place in the lives of those who have trusted in me. And I know we want to get to this idea of greater works, and we're going to. But there's some things that we need to see here first. And pun intended with the letter C, because there's four C's that we need to see in the beginning of this passage before we understand what Jesus is talking about when he says that I'm, going, I'm he's going to perform greater works than even I have performed. So first thing that we need to see here is this is conditional, isn't it? The greater works and the works that he has done that are going to be performed are only performed by who? Those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. So remember, this goes back to what we talked about last week. How do we experience God? How do we see a true experience of God is we believe in the right things first. And here you have the outflow of what we were just talking about. Jesus is saying, the one who has placed their faith in me, and as I have revealed myself, meaning I am God, the Father is in me, and I am in the Father, this one who does this is actually going to experience my presence in their life through me working in them. That's how he's saying it. Instead of... The, we experience God and then we build our truth off of that. That's not what he's saying. It is the one who has placed our faith in him. This reality, it goes back to what we said last week. We must believe in him, his truth, what he says in order to experience this his presence in our life. This belief in him is ongoing. It's in the present tense. So it's a continual faith in Jesus Christ. It is faith in Christ... That produces a life in Christ and it is revealed through the works of Jesus Christ in our lives. This is discipleship 101 and what he's saying here. He's leaving them but he's also reassuring them that guess what? I'm not truly abandoning you totally. I'm leaving you physically but I'm going to be with you spiritually. This is one way you're going to see that in your life. Which kind of brings us to the the, the next point that it is actually his departure, his going to the Father that sets all of this in motion. That this would be absolutely impossible if Jesus had remained. If Jesus had not completed his work there on earth, if he had not suffered, died, was buried, and rose again and ascended to the Father, these works just aren't happening. Jesus is able to pour out his spirit in you and me because of what he's done, because he ascends to the Father. So it's the actual cause. He's saying this is a benefit. As a matter of fact, later on he's going to say, it's a good thing that I go because I'm going to continue my ministry through you. We also see here that when he does this, it's confirmation. So I when we, we talked about the proof, right, and last week, he was looking for proof. And Jesus is saying, my, my presence with you is proof. Well, that proof continues in our life. How do you and I know that what Jesus has said is true? Well, we experience it, in our, it through, as he works through us, don't we? I'm sure many of you can see in your own life, over the years, how God has worked through your life. And the only thing that you can say is, well, well that's because of what he says is true. Jesus' presence in our life gives us the confirmation of his truth. Jesus working in and through us reveals the truth of what he said, that he is God and that he continues with his presence through us. And then, third and finally, this is a continuation of his ministry. The disciples are upset. They think the band is broken up. Jesus is leaving, the band is disbanded, everything's coming to an end. Jesus is reassuring them and saying, oh, no, 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 actually, this is just the beginning. This has to happen so that Jesus' spirit can be poured out into the disciples and into us so that we can continue his work. And we have to hit on this for a second because we often think of the call to faith as just salvation, don't we? And sometimes we're forgetting that there is so much more to the call to faith. That yes, first and foremost, the call to faith is for us to place our faith in what Jesus Christ has done so that our relationship with God can be restored through his work on the cross. But the call to faith is also a call to purpose. It's actually a call to work. And it's a call to work In the works that God has prepared beforehand for you and me. It's not just coming to church and believing and singing songs. And I know I I, I beat the drum over and over and over and over again and say that, but we have to see what Jesus is saying here that the purpose of believing in Him, yes, is salvation, yes, is eternal life, yes, is all those wonderful benefits but it is also so that He may work through us to establish His kingdom here on earth. It's absolutely essential that we see that. That God's goal is to create a people in the hearts and and minds of men and and, and for Him to work through us to bring about His purposes. That's what He wants to do. The call to faith is like it says in Ephesians 2.10. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance beforehand. So all of our life, no matter where we find ourselves, it doesn't mean a specific call to ministry, though that may include it. No matter where you're at, whether you're in, you know, your running group, whether you're you're out fishing with a friend, whether you're you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're you're a, a working father, whatever you're doing. In your life, God calls you to work for His kingdom. And we're fulfilling that purpose. So what does he mean by greater works? Because I know we're probably all excited about what these, what these works are going to look like. So I have an illustration. The guy tells a story. Uh, these, these following testimonies are found on a very, very popular, church's website that everyone is now flocking to right now. And these are testimonies of God's works, supposedly. Guy says about seven years ago at a class where I was skeptically listening to this prayer training by this one spiritual school alumni. So, there's a school where you can learn how to do all of these miracles. He said, while I was listening to this prayer training tra- training, I felt I felt an electric touch. So he feels something go through his body. He calls it an electric touch of God. It passed through me. He said later on, after I felt this electricity pass through me, I realized. That I was healed of my plantar fasciitis. I think that's how you say it. He had this for three years. Okay? He says, after this remarkable experience, remember what we've been talking about. After this experience, I felt drawn by God to learn about healing. So experience confirms the learning, confirms the truth. So he looked up this ministry on the internet, and he saw a page out of one of one of these uh, minister's books about bringing heaven to earth. He read the words, and he felt the Holy Spirit, felt, second time that word is used, isn't it? I'm just pointing that out, throwing it out there. He felt the Holy Spirit confirm inside of him, this is true, truth, felt truth. So, he went to their healing school, Learned how to do a bunch of miracles. Tended there for two years. Here's another testimony. This lady said that we visited a service. from. We came from Florida. And we were there to bring uh, my daughter to one of the healing rooms. And unexpectedly, my knee was healed. So, Robin, you missed out. You just, you know, just missed right out. We, Robin just had knee surgery. I'm not sure why, Robin. So... So she said, my knee was healed, and the guy was talking about all these healings in people's ankles when they were on the mission trip. So he said, if anyone's having ankle problems, raise your hand. So she said, well, my knee's close to my ankle, right? There it goes, right? So she gets up and then feels something, knee healed, runs around, right? And then a week later, the pain returns, So now there's an issue, isn't there? So the pain returns, but she said, I remember what I learned about prayer and how you need to pray with authority and loudly. So now it's how determined you are in your prayer and how loud you pray it. So she says no to the knee pain, and it goes away. It's gone. And she talks about her daughter bringing her into one of the healing rooms, and her daughter was healed from seasonal allergies and stomach aches. Okay. Let me ask you something. If this is this what Jesus is talking about? Is this a sample? Because this verse, among many, many others, is grabbed from the text of scripture. It's pulled out. Look. There it is. It's a promise, folks. That's a promise. If you're not healing people and if you're not being healed, it's not Jesus' fault. It's your faith. Do you see the danger that is connected with that? Right now, I have really bad seasonal allergy. I don't know if you can hear it. I mean, this two days. I've been a, a mess. I'm not going to go into detail. I went into detail with some folks and they're like, thank you for sharing that detail. You don't think... The other thing I want to be healed in my seasonal allergies to help me preach a little bit, you know, so I can not sound like a, a stuffed up sock up here. Is this what he's talking about? Because then we all have problems, don't we? You, you guys need a faith check. You need a faith check. You're not really believing in Jesus because that's one of the conditions, right? Believe in Jesus, he says it. And if you believe in him, you're going to do not only the works that he did, you know, Healed the sick, raised the dead, you know, turned water into wine. You're going to do greater things than these. If this is it, then I'm real. Um, I feel bad for two people. You know who I feel bad for? Paul is one of them. You know why I feel bad for Paul? Paul had a thorn in his flesh, didn't he? We're not quite sure what that was. No, no one knows what that was. As a matter of fact, some people actually think it was a physical disability. Might have had something to do with his eyes. Might you know he might have had some ongoing illness, but it also might have been someone who was just bothering him and hindering him in his ministry. If anyone should have had a prayer answered, right for healing or whatever it was, wouldn't you think, Paul? Right, because it was hindering him, according to him, in his ministry. He's not just this. Isn't a selfish prayer. He, he wants his ministry to go better. He's asking God, Jesus, he's asking Jesus to remove this thorn. And Jesus says, nope. What's he say, though? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is manifested in weakness. Your weakness. You know how I feel bad for? Tim. Poor Timothy. Timid Timothy's tummy ache. He had a little tummy ache, didn't he? Right? He, he, matter of fact, Paul, Paul writes to Timothy about his tummy ache. You know why Tim, Tim had a tummy ache? That's like a tongue twister, Tim, tummy, timid. Timid Timmy tummy ache. So Tim had a tummy ache because he was anxious all the time. He was nervous. Tim was a nervous wreck. As a matter of fact, Paul has to remind him, God has not ge- given us a spirit of what? Timidity. Right, so we know he was probably the ministry. Guess what? That's going to give you stomach aches. <laughs> it can give you headaches. It can give you a stomach aches. It's going to make you feel things. You're like, I never knew that part existed. That's how. I'm sorry. I'm. It's not that bad. I'm just kidding with you guys. But you do experience things in the ministry. Why? Because you're nervous. You're worried. You're anxious. So his stomach was upset. So you would think, right, Paul, right? Paul, just send your handkerchief. I mean, you want to talk about mail-in miracles, right? Paul could have really sent his handkerchief because his handkerchief was healing people. So why didn't he help out his brother? Why didn't he heal Timothy? Because obviously it's bothering him. What does he give Timothy? A home remedy. He gives him a home remedy. He's like, hey, take a little wine. Timothy's not like, why can't you just lay hands, you know? You know, heal his stomach? He doesn't. And then we begin to see, so my my argument is that the early miracles, all of those miracles that we saw in the early church were to confirm the truth of the apostles' gospel, what they were saying. Those miracles are not needed anymore. Why? Because they're all recorded right here. This is where they are. Later on in, in the book of James, he's going to say, hey, if someone's sick, bring them to who? The elders. So now you're seeing that transfer over to the church, and now you're seeing prayer, he says, and pray. Lay hands on them and pray. Because if if this is what he's talking about, these, these, these miraculous things that he's promising to do through us, then then we're going to miss, I think, one of the goals of what he's saying. Because the goal is to encourage our faith. The goal is to remind us he is working through us. And I, I think it goes back, I mean, you know, I, I have had back pain for over 10 years. 10 years. You don't think I'd like a miracle with my back? and just to, You don't think we'd want some miracles to help us out? in these areas. And if I begin to think that the problem is my faith, right, that's just going to lead to discouragement. And we're going to expect that of other people as well. And we can't say that he's just talking about the disciples because he uses the word whoever. So it's, he, I think is a bad translation. I think it should be whoever believes in me, the one who believes in me. So yes, the disciples and yes, They did the works that he did, hands down. But it's also the promises for you and me. Whoever has faith in Christ, and I think Pastor Dave and other commentators rightly ascribe this idea. The idea, the meaning behind it falls behind the word greater. And they give good reasons for what this means. So the first thing that we have to see here it's greater in power the works that we do are greater in power you tell me you look at those two trains up there which train are you more impressed with if they're able to to tow the cargo across the united states You're, you it's easy for the top train right we that thing is funk that's perfect right so that's like Jesus doing miracles, it's nothing for him. It's absolutely nothing for him to do it. He can snap his fingers, he can say a word. What's impressive is if even if that bottom train can move, who's that bottom train? That's you and me. <laughs> that, that's what it is. The the greater in power <laughs> is that anything gets accomplished through freak shows like us, right? That's the that's the greater. That's what's more impressive, that holy cow, when Jesus leaves his disciples, the whole thing just doesn't fall to nothing. That it actually took over the Roman Empire, right? That that there was no stopping the gospel. Why? Because of the people? No, because of the one working in them. That's the greater. That's what's more impressive, Trains like that making a difference for the kingdom. And we we forget that, that. What an encouragement. That no matter how broken we are. No matter what our disabilities are. He can work through us because it's not dependent on that. It's His power that's being manifested in weakness. It's His power that's being shown on a daily basis through sinners like you and me. That's what's greater. It's also greater in scope and extent. Perfect examples. From, we had a book we would read in, in missions. Um, it was called From Jerusalem to Erie and right? And, and the, the gospel. So Jesus' ministry was an absolute success, wasn't it? It had to have been or else you and I wouldn't be here. But he left. How many disciples? Five hundred. 500 disciples. Peter's first sermon converted how many? 3,000. 3,000 disciples. The gospel has now traveled across the globe. Perfect examples today. The, The pictures up there, seeing those natives believing and holding by, that to me is just absolutely astonishing. That... Nothing has stopped the progress of the gospel taking over this entire world. You want to talk about greater? That's greater. And taken, to, that that gospel was taken by individuals like us. Weak and frail, where we succumb to sickness, we succumb to temptation, we succumb to all the weaknesses of this world, but He continues to work through us and He continues to build His church in the furthest reaches of the globe. The third and final one is greater in value. And you've got to be careful about this a little bit. But Jesus Himself even says, in the context of healing, of physical healing he says that he will be shown greater things, Keyword by the Father, from the Father, than those physical works. And he follows it up by speaking of spiritually raising the dead conversion. We, we tend to emphasize the physical so much more over the spiritual. What's, you, you tell me, what is greater, someone who is healed of plantar fasciitis or someone who's healed of a wicked heart? And that person then going forth, a person that was turned in on themselves, a person that couldn't do a good work if, if their life depended on it, now is on fire for Jesus Christ. Loves people, shows compassion, shows sacrifice, and, and just builds the kingdom in that way. What's greater? When is a party thrown in heaven? Is it when someone is physically healed or, it is, or is it when they're spiritually healed? That, it's when they're spiritually healed. The greater works that he promises is that he's using us, weak and sinful individuals, to bring other people into his kingdom. What's greater, that a broken leg is put back in place, or that a broken life has been made whole again? What's greater? I'm sure we all know her, don't we? Here's an example of all three and an encouragement to all of us. We don't think people maybe came to Johnny and said, You don't have enough faith. God wants you healed. He wants, does he? Does he? You don't think she's probably, as we get into our next point, you don't think she's probably prayed. I know she has because she wrote about it. What's greater? God can take a woman like that, that in the human view is incapacitated, has suffered so much in her life, but has touched so many lives for Christ. Not despite her weakness, because of it. Using her in that way. And we know that that ministry has touched lives across the globe. One person in a wheelchair. And we know that people through her ministry. Have come to Jesus Christ. You think God can use us too? That's what he's saying here. My presence in you, your faith in me, this is what's going to happen. Any single one of us. He promises it. He promises it and he's giving what is he doing number one he's reminding his disciples i haven't left you he's reminding us i'm working in you i'm going to continue to do so it doesn't matter your frailties it doesn't matter your weaknesses it doesn't matter any of that because nothing's going to stop my power nothing's going to stop me from using you But it's also confirming the truth of who he says he is. You know, that, that God can take individuals and just, I mean, you look at that. Take individuals, broken and sinful, weak individuals, and just use them in such a way, man alive. That's that's a miracle, isn't it? That's the miracle. And if we understand that that's what he's talking about, number one, our faith is going to be strengthened, isn't it? And number two, we're going to pray in line with that, which brings us to our next point. He promises to answer prayer for us. Another, another hard verse that uh, we, we have to look at here. So he says to them, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So, dear Lord, I pray for my nose to stop running right this second. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if it really happened, that would I'd have to change my point. Is it... So, is that what he's talking about? So, not only do we have a misunderstanding of the works, I think, which leads to a discouragement of the faith, but we have a misunderstanding of the prayer, which also leads to a discouragement of faith, right? And prayers aren't answered, we're like, ah, you're not with me. So, I want us to see two things before we get into this idea of what he's talking about. Uh, The first thing, if, if you were to look at this passage, let's just say this passage taken out solo that we're looking at today, and you had to describe the life of the disciple, what does it look like? Starts with what? Faith, belief in Jesus Christ, who he says he is, what he's done for us, and then it results in what? Works and prayer, two things. Two things sum up the life of the disciple, folks. There you have it. We have faith in Christ. We believe on him for salvation, for forgiveness of sins. He gives us his Holy Spirit who then works through us. And then we pray to aid and to support those works, to clarify those works, to have our guidance for strength and for our purpose. Two things, the life of a disciple works, and prayer. And, and these are things that we are to constantly be doing. Jesus expects us to pray. He expects us to pray. In other passages in Scripture, He says, when you pray, uh, when He talks to the disciples and gives the disciples prayer, or the Lord's prayer, when you pray, you know, this is, this is how you should pray. He gives a format for the prayer. Letting us know that this is part and parcel of the Christian faith. And I trust me, I'm preaching myself because I feel like I don't pray enough. Even as a pastor, you're probably all worried about that. But I struggle. We were talking about prayer in our, our staff meeting the other, the other day. Just prayer is rough, isn't it? Prayer is so hard. And I think it's hard. I think Satan makes it hard. Our flesh makes it hard because it's that effective. And and we feel like we're not doing anything. And I feel like sometimes I'm just praying the same. How many people are praying the same prayers over and over and over again? And you're like, what, you know? And we're, and sometimes He answers prayers. You're like, you prayed once. You never prayed before in your life. He answers that prayer. And you got this prayer where you're like putting ashes and sackcloth on you, and you're and He's not answering that prayer. And we begin to we begin to wonder what what's happening with our faith, but. I want to put in a quick plug for, <clears throat> yeah, it didn't go away. Quick, quick plug for, people are praying now, please, Lord, don't let me get sick. It's... I had a COVID test, by the way, so we're all good. It's just seasonal allergies. I should go to a healing room. So, <laughs> I know. The, uh... Nothing is going to happen in this church, Galilee apart from prayer? Do we realize that? I, do, we, do we truly, truly, truly realize that? We want to, I hope, I hope, I hope that you want to be used as individuals and as a church body to expand His kingdom. I hope that's what you want. And if you truly, truly want that, whatever wherever realm it's in, we need to be praying as individuals and as a church corporately. I think we're missing out on a lot when we're not praying as much as we could, as individuals and corporately. Prayer needs to be a priority. The works of the church need to be bathed by the prayers of the church. It is absolutely essential because prayer changes us, it aligns us with His will. Prayer deepens our fellowship with Him. And that's the whole goal here. It reminds us of His presence. It reminds us that we have someone to go to. It deepens our trust in Him. And if you want to do that, we just so happen to have a prayer group. So we have a a way that you can join us now, it doesn't have to be, every, I know, he's like, one more thing to do, one more thing to do. But we, this is one thing we actually need to do, folks. We really, really, if we want to grow as a church, if we want to grow as Christians, if we want to grow by unbelievers coming to faith in Jesus Christ, we need to be praying. I challenge you, you don't have to come every Tuesday. I don't go every Tuesday. I go once in a while, uh, but we have it once a week. We'll have it throughout the year unless otherwise stated. I challenge you, this is my challenge to us, that that family life center is too small at least once or twice throughout the year, that it's too small, that we need to actually move here into this room, okay? we. I just... Can't emphasize enough that if we want to see God moving and working in our lives, we need to pray to Him. And we need to allow Him to change our hearts. And we need to make His priorities our priorities. Let's talk about what He's talking about when it comes to to prayer. So it's pretty plain and simple. Here's an illustration. It's an illustration from Billy Graham. Guy says, I remember the first time my older son Jim and I worked as counselors at a Billy Graham crusade. It was at Shea Stadium in New York. The airplanes from LaGuardia Airport flew over the stadium dozens by the hour. On the opening night of training... Reverend Billy Graham started talking with us from the podium as the engines roared overhead. He paused and he glanced up and he quietly said, We'll have to do something about this noise. This just won't do. He bowed his head and he said a simple prayer to the effect Lord, we ask you to shift the wind. And send these planes in another direction. Thank you. Amen. (laughs) I mean, okay. The guy says, well, (laughs) we were all believers, but this was a pretty tall order. We weren't sure what, if anything, to expect. He said, God answered their prayer in a really wondrous way. Morning newspapers reported the winds had shifted during the night, changed, changed direction. The airplanes over Shea Stadium had to be routed another way. For several days after, thousands of people came to Christ under Billy's preaching. At the conclusion of the crusade, the winds reverted to their normal flow. The airplanes returned to their normal flight patterns. Now, I know what you're all thinking. Because I was thinking the same thing. Well, Billy Graham, right? Billy Graham is Billy. He's got like this direct connection to Jesus. You know what? Billy asks, right? Billy's going to get. So I, first and foremost, one of the things that Jesus is saying here, go back to the word whoever, right? It's not the billies of this world. It's Whoever. One of the biggest things, that this levels the playing field with the church. There is not one individual greater than the other. As soon as we begin to elevate people in the church, we're missing Christ's point. It doesn't matter that I'm a pastor. It doesn't matter that certain people have certain giftings. What matters is Jesus Christ working in those people. Jesus Christ, the one answering prayers for those individuals, because it's Jesus Christ's kingdom, not our kingdom, that's being built. It doesn't matter that Billy prayed the prayer. It could have been anyone. And I want you to note some certain aspects about his prayer. He's not like, Oh, Lord of the heavens and the earth, the one who controls the seas and the winds. He's not embellishing it, is he? He's not trying to get God's attention through fancy words. No, he says, yeah, it changed the wind. He he makes a request. It's literally, it's just plain and simple. He asks him, and I want to point out something else. What did Billy forget in his prayer? If this is a true recording of what he said. and Jesus, Whoa, wait a second, Billy. You forgot the tag, right? You forgot the tag because there's two conditions. One of them has got to be in Jesus' name. That's what Jesus says. If you ask it in my name, you're good to go. The second condition is for his glory. And we have to look at this, the first one, in Jesus' name, these are actual stickers that I took a screenshot. And I actually think people have these things and they're just like, Jesus' name, boom, Jesus' name, right? It's like a little fancy talisman or incantation that we're using. That's a pagan practice, We can't just tag on Jesus' name and thinking that that's the special formula to have our prayers answered. That's not what's happening here. That's not what Jesus is saying. Billy actually forgot Jesus' name. He said, Lord. So are we to make that, you know, oh, Billy, you didn't follow the proper conditions of the prayer. Here's What he means by in in Jesus' name, it means that we come to the Father, literally, the only way we just say, Lord, Jesus is all I have. Jesus is my representation. There is no way that I can even talk to you apart from your son. Your son has made this communication, has made all of this possible in Jesus's name means that we're in an intimate relationship with Jesus. It means that we know Jesus and therefore we're going to ask the things that are according to his character and the things that are aligned with his will. And this is where it gets hard. Because we may be coming to God and and Jesus can say you you go to the Father or you go to Him, He actually says in here, you come to me in my own name, and I, either way is, is fine And we come through the Holy Spirit. But we may be coming to God and, and, and doing that faithfully and doing it the right way, not just selfishly tacking on that, that little saying, but His answer may be No. And he's just saying that right now, child, this isn't in my will. And we have to be okay with that, but that's hard, isn't it? How many people are praying prayers right now that just aren't being answered? Does it make your faith easier or harder? It makes it harder, doesn't it? He answers our prayers as if we knew the outcome in the end. And I know we might think right now, trust me, I have a plethora of prayers right now that I've been praying for a long time, not being answered, not being answered the way I want them to be. Does that mean He's he's not with us? No. Actually, probably means the opposite, doesn't it? And he's got a special purpose. And sometimes I'll look back on prayers that I prayed and I go, Thank you, Lord, that you didn't answer that the way I wanted you to. Because I wouldn't be where I'm at. Prayed to be a missionary, wanted to go overseas. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't answer that prayer. I wouldn't be here. Prayed for lots of things. And this is the whole trust issue. The more we pray, we're not changing him. He's changing us. He's changing us. And sometimes he's saying to us, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is manifested in your weakness, in your pain, in your hurt. And that, folks, that's hard. But we need to see that He hasn't left us. And that ultimately, ultimately, our goal in life needs to be God's glory, whatever the answer to prayer may be. But it doesn't negate His presence. It doesn't negate His love. It doesn't negate His care. It actually confirms it even more. It's an activity that deepens our friendship with Him and changes us in the process. But He's also saying Sometimes he's going to answer those prayers, right? He promises to do that when they're aligned with his will, when they bring God glory, God's glory. He answers them, and what happens when he does? How many people have seen answered prayers in their life? Okay, like I said, sometimes prayers that I'm like, I, I have no idea why you answered that one and not that one. As a matter of fact, that happened this past week. Uh, my my wife actually prayed a prayer. And it was uh, just a little quick prayer, and it was answered very, very qu- quickly. <laughs> and it helped out a lot. Um, I can't tell you what it is. I can't share what it is. But it, it, was, it was really weird because it, it did exactly what I think Jesus is telling us is going to happen. He, he encourages us, right? It's a reminder, It's a reminder of what he says is true. It's a reminder that his presence in his life. And Jesus fulfills his personal promises, encouraging those who have faith in him. He does it all the time. Jesus is is not like those politicians, right? He's not like those guys. Jesus fulfills his promises, and as he fulfills those promises, it encourages our faith. It strengthens our faith in him. Jesus promises us that he is going to continue to work through us no matter what is happening in our physical capabilities. He promises us that he is going to remain with us, that he's going to use us to expand his kingdom. He promises us that when we call out to him, he hears us. and He promises to answer those prayers so that we can continue to come to him Folks, the the fact that I am standing here before you should be a miracle enough. The fact that you're here today should be a miracle enough. The fact that God has changed our lives in such a drastic way. In my own life, just a person who was hell-bent on serving themselves, Just after the flesh. Living for myself, caring only about myself. I don't deserve to be up here, nor do I have the strength. There are times that I have failed, and I promise you that. I'll continue to do so. But here I stand, and here you are. You can look back over the scope of your life and see how God has worked in your hearts. See how He's changed you. See how He's used you to expand His kingdom. And see how He's answered your prayers. These are personal promises. For those who have a personal relationship. And they're a constant reminder of his personal presence with us. And he promises never, ever to leave us. Father, thank you for this truth. Lord, we're grateful that in your mercy, compassion, grace, and love, that you sent Christ your Son to give up his life for us so that we may have life in you and we may live eternally with you. And Lord, we, we know that you have fulfilled these promises over the years in our hearts, in our lives. We know that you will continue to do so. Lord, help us to be about your work. Help us to pray those things in align with Your will. Help us to pray for the expansion of Your kingdom in our own hearts and in the hearts of those around us. Lord, help us to do all of this for Your glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.